Hello and welcome to Fitter and Faster. My name is Emma Kate Lidberry, your host and managing editor here at Triathlete Magazine. Each month on Fitter and Faster, we tackle one triathlon training topic in depth, giving you everything you need to know. This month, we're talking all things injury prevention. In this show, we'll be chatting with Dr. Shafali Christopher, a physical therapist and athletic trainer from Elon University, who also happens to be a triathlete. Now, she'll soon be jetting off to Tokyo as the PT for the US Paratri team, a position she's held since 2018. She teaches orthopedics and sports selective topics in Elon's Doctor of Physical Therapy program and does her clinical work with Elon's Division One athletes. Her research has focused around injury prevention strategies and postpartum runners, so she's well-placed to give us some insights here. And, of course, it wouldn't be fitter and faster without our Gear Up section, so we'll have our executive editor and gear guru, Chris Foster, joining us later to talk about some of the best gear and gadgets that can help you keep injuries at bay. All of that after this short break. Power your next adventure with Outside Plus. Our Outside Plus membership includes two magazine subscriptions, two books from Velo Press, exclusive content not just on Triathlete but across all our brands like Velo News, Backpacker and Yoga Journal, online courses like meditation classes from Yoga Journal and meal plans from Clean Eating, event and gear discounts, access to Gaia GPS and one Finisher Picks photo package each year. Outside Plus is the world's best resource for training, nutrition, know-how and how-tos. Find out more at triathlete.com forward slash Outside Plus. That's triathlete.com forward slash Outside Plus. So Dr. Shafali Christopher is one of those super smart humans who takes academic knowledge and applies it in the field to help athletes get the best from themselves and stay healthy, well and fit. She clearly knows her stuff. I really, really enjoyed our chat and learned a lot. We talked about the most common injuries that triathletes suffer. You can probably guess a few of those. Uh, Ways to prevent these injuries and that tricky question that always pops up, how to know when to seek professional help and when to just rest. It's a super interesting chat and here she is, Dr. Shafali Christopher. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me this afternoon, Emma Kate. Um, So I started off, I swam in in high school and college. And then when I went to physical therapy school, I realized I needed um, a goal to train for I, when I didn't have a coach uh, beating me over the head. So um, I started doing triathlons just as a way of having a training plan and going out there and doing something. And there were a couple other of my classmates who did triathlons. But um, little did I know that when I got my first job, I started at Duke Sports Medicine way back in 2008. I could speak the triathlete lingo because I was a triathlete myself. And so slowly as uh, patients came into the clinic and, you know, they had a hitch in their giddy up with their transition or with their, you know, break, uh, all the other um, therapists looked at me like, I don't even know what this word is. Can you please see this patient? So I started seeing a lot of the injured triathletes in the area. And right about then was when triathlon was really big and really hot. Mm. Lots of people were initiating, starting, trying to do longer distances And so there was a time where my whole caseload pretty much was endurance athletes between triathletes and runners. And then over the course of time, yeah, uh, it was really exciting to go to work every day. And, you know, I would do, I would tweak that bike fit. I was look, I would look at them running on the treadmill. I would sometimes have them do a bike and come do the brick on the treadmill so I could see kind of what fatigue sort of issues were going on. 
Um, I'd sometimes go to the pool and video them to see if I could see anything, if they came in with a shoulder thing. So um, it was great to be involved in the sport, to be able to treat uh, people participating in the sport. Now, I've nothing much to show. My own times were pretty, uh, you know, slow and just for um, exercise. But uh, it was great to be out then. Also, even see some of my patients on the course from different times. Yeah, you know, I think it makes a real difference when you're treating, when you're a therapist or, or you know, the doctor, whoever, whomever, and you have that in the field experience of the sport you know, that your patients are participating in training for, you know, geared, focused on. Um, that makes such a difference because you can, yeah. as, you, as you'll talk later, you know, talk about combining your academic experience with your in the field experience. So, um, so yeah, talking of academic experience, you are, yes. you are a professor. Yes. So I'm an assistant professor at Elon University now. So over time, I decided that like teaching and teaching the next generation of therapists uh, really gives me that new energy. Mm. And so I teach physical therapy at Elon University. And I get to work with um, the athletes that come to our Elon Runs Clinic. Mm-hmm. And also the Division One athletes that compete uh, at Elon University. So I, I, I do have a clinical day. And then the uh, other times I'm in the classroom getting the next generation of physical therapists ready to treat all kinds of different athletes and orthopedic injuries. Wow, that's super cool to have that kind of blend, that have that mix, that blend. Yeah, it's fun because I can give them real life cases. So say we're talking about a stress fracture, I could say, you know, yesterday I saw an athlete in the clinic and this is how they presented. How would you... Uh, you know, what kind of questions would you ask for a history or like what treatments would you choose? And this is what I chose and this is why, you know, and I really clinically reason to give them a much more robust experience when they go out in the clinic. Yeah. Okay. So talking of in the field experience and uh, yeah, how, how patients present and that kind of thing, you've obviously seen more than your fair share of athletes and triathletes presenting with injuries. What, in your experience, what are the, the main causes of injury? Yeah, so Emma Kate, that's like the million dollar question. All the researchers worldwide are trying to figure out like what's the what are the variables, what are the risk factors for injury. Mm. Yeah. Um, so the number one risk factor that we have good research behind is a history of pre- previous injury can lead to future injury. So what that means is if you've had that, you know, ankle nagging ankle pain and you know, you decided like meh. I'll just run through it or I'll just kind of give it some rest. I'll go back to it. That may be the reason you have a future injury. And what I'm seeing clinically is it may not actually be the ankle hurting again. It may be the knee because Mm -hmm. the knee has compensated for that ankle now and something else is breaking down. So Mm -hmm. we can say with a little bit more certainty that previous injury, it has been really, it's been correlated with future injury. But after that, you know, we're still throwing around different variables. So if I had to draw it out, I think I'd have like a lot of different, uh, uh, like I think of like a figure that with all leading to injury and like all these lines coming out. And so you could have your psychological factors. Mm -hmm. So um, mental health, sleep, fatigue, you know, all of those things may be contributing to the athlete not being at the optimal training uh, level and they go out to do a hard workout and then you know if you haven't slept enough and your body's going to break down could that be one of the risk factors we have biological factors you know are you really tight in a certain muscle 
or have you are your mechanics off like when you're riding the bike are your knees like coming and rubbing against the top tube and putting a lot of strain on different structures you know are you pronating in your feet um, you know, is your equipment the risk factor? You know, did you buy a bike from a bike swap because they were, you know, your first triathlon? Not that anyone I know did that, <laughs> but you know, you buy a buy a secondhand bike and you ride it and race it without getting it fit for yourself, and then you have this now back pain that you didn't didn't have before because you're riding some a uh, piece of equipment that wasn't fit for you. So. I wish I could give you a more um, definite answer, but from all the research and all my clinical work, like injury is so individualized. And mm -hmm. that's the fun of my job, figuring out what is the special sauce that's causing this person to not move ahead. And mm -hmm. how do we figure out, uh, you know, the ingredients so that it could be a good tasting sauce instead of like <laughs> something you throw down the tube, right? So, <laughs> so that's, I don't know how I came up with that example, but I think it makes sense. Like what are the ingredients? I think, I think we've got our analogy now for the rest of the show. So it's all going to be about special sauce, <laughs> cooking. Yeah, no, it's, uh, that's a really good point. You know, it's so, so individual and it can be about, uh, you know, the stress in somebody's life. You know, we, when it comes to, from a training, when we, when we talk about things from a training perspective, we, we obviously always talk about stress and adaptation and global stress is, you know, stress is stress. Um, and that's the same, same applies obviously to the body and injury. Um, whether, you know, whether it's overuse, whether it's trauma, whether, uh, over time, but you're just not getting enough sleep or you're just not getting enough food or the run shoes you're wearing are just not right for your, or they've been, you've done 500, 600 miles in them and they should have been thrown out 300 miles ago or something, you know? Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I guess it's knowing, knowing what your weaknesses might be and just trying to get ahead of them versus them getting ahead of you and then ending up in in a clinic um, yeah, because, you're in, because you're injured. Yeah, and so I think one of the biggest things I tell my triathletes, because we know that previous injury can lead to a future injury, mm. is that don't, don't be uh, lazy about rehabbing your injury. You know, mm -hmm. make sure that you're feeling like whatever the nagging injury is is, is as close to 100% when you, when you give up on your exercises or you stop uh, giving attention to it because... You could be just compensating and that might lead to a different injury. So I think like your question about what are the risk factors, I think that's one that we can hang our hat on. Yeah. Yeah. And so obviously the golden answer really is don't get injured in the first place. And then if you don't, you don't have a previous injury to, to, to worry about, then, you know, your chances of getting that, that previous injury rearing its ugly head, you know, are, are obviously considerably lower if you don't so absolutely yeah which is where the preventative exercises and strength and conditioning and that kind of stuff which we'll come to to later in the in the podcast um they, but that's where they all factor in um yeah yeah so like, i'll encourage them to listen to all your training tips and be smart about their training <laughs> yeah for sure yeah so for example like i had a shoulder injury way back from my swimming well probably from like it, it started in my early to mid 20s and it's something that I've had to manage well I ended up in surgery right which is obviously like absolutely not where you want to end up absolutely. um but like once you have that I remember my coach saying to me okay this is going to be something you now have to manage you know for the rest of your athletic career or pretty much the rest of your life you know right um so yeah, yeah we, we're really hoping that the athlete's not at that level where you know if you catch it early enough, maybe you can address it, mm. but then you have to just keep managing it along the way. 
Yeah. And that's no fun. You know, like the reason we do triathlon or the reason we do endurance sports or the reason we do any kind of sports or activities is like for fun and enjoyment and being injured is kind of miserable. So Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely having surgery is kind of miserable. So yeah, don't do that at home, kids. <laughs> um, but anyway, moving on from surgery and things, we don't want to talk about that too much on injury prevention Absolutely show. Absolutely not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Common injuries that you see then with triathletes, what do they, when you've got all these people uh, presenting, what do they typically present with? What's your, you know, if you had to give your top three? Yeah, so I would say that uh, the lower extremity is Mm. one that I deal with a lot. And uh, the knee is one of the biggest uh, areas of injury, Um, especially in the longer distance events. You know, athletes are biking and then they're running and asking a lot out of their knee. Uh, And so knee injuries are some things I see really commonly, followed by, you know, um, foot and ankle injuries. Um, And so those are some of the top things I see. And 90% uh, of the injuries I see with triathletes is just overuse, overdoing it, um, you know, not, not listening to the body. Uh, mm-hmm. enough and uh, pushing through a workout where maybe your body said like hey this is not feeling great you know it's I'm starting to have some pain but you're like but I have 300 more you know meters to go I need to do this mm-hmm. um, and then and then there's some breakdown so so the, the the lower extremity is some something that takes a beating um, from the fatigue of the repetitiveness and so that's the area that I get to treat most often okay and then, so yeah, that's, that's a very, it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting topic because I think um, hard hardwired into the brains of many endurance athletes at all distances and I think all, m- many levels, um, from newcomers through to elite professionals, um, is this kind of notion that more is better, um, and obviously as more as more becomes more. That then obviously the risk of or the risk of injury can can go up and up and up um, as you keep pushing through something that might not feel good or you keep you know you add another you do your full workout because it's there on training peaks and you feel you ought to versus is what your your body's telling you something else um, so do you we'll go back to those we'll, we'll definitely go back to those um, those in, those common um, injuries but is that something that you you try and work on with uh, patients or is that something that you just kind of like that's that's out of your that's kind of out of your um that's out of your realm of special source type thing you know (laughs) yeah so if I turned to a runner or a triathlete and told them to take some rest they would never come back to my clinic right (laughs) so my job is to make them realize what their limits are so that's the biggest message I like to send like your background, your baseline is very different from mine. Mm-hmm. And so where, you know, your friend may be able to do, you know, a lot of speed work as part of their running and you've decided, okay, I'm going to add speed work in and you join them for their workouts. I mean, their baseline may be very different compared to yours and yours, your body may not be able to handle the load of the faster pace of mm-hmm. the forces as you hit the ground. Yep. And so everyone's abilities are different. And so I try to let them figure out what their um, baseline is. Mm-hmm. Um, the best, another a- analogy is I think of a game of shoots and ladders, right? And mm-hmm. so you're, you're going up and you're climbing the levels as you're doing your baseline training. Mm-hmm. And so someone else may be a little bit higher in the, <laughs> the game of shoots and ladders and you're a little bit lower, but that's okay. 
but you have to slowly wait and climb the ladders. If you go too fast, there's, in, there's, there's maybe a breakdown. So that's the biggest message, you know, know your body, listen to your body. It's telling you what it needs. Um, you know, I think another notion as athletes, it's like no pain, no gain. Well, but, but knowing the, the injury pain versus the digging, you know, when you have, 30 more miles left and your quads are burning pain, right? So those mm-hmm. are two different pains. Like when something's hurting and you can't put weight through it yeah. or it's like on a scale of zero to 10, it's like six, seven, eight, and you like are hurting like pain, that's not good. But but like where your chest is maybe working really hard because you're breathing hard or your quads are burning, that's a different pain that it's okay to push through, but injury pain is not. Sorry, I answered yeah. all of your questions in that one. Oh, no, all good. That's perfect. That's what we like. But no, yeah, we will come back to that because like, I think that is a very valid point about when to seek help, when to rest, when to, how do, how do you know, like what's what's too much and what's enough, you know? But um, but going back to those those top three, you, you obviously mentioned the lower extremities are the, um, the is the area of the body that you treat the most. Um, so what does that look like? Is that plantar fasciitis? Is mm-hmm. that, um, what kind of knee, what kind of knee problems is that, you know, and, and how might people, if, the, if they're that common, how might people prevent them? Yeah. So let's talk about what, uh, diagnoses I'm seeing first. Mm-hmm. So I see a lot of, uh, tendon, tendinopathy. So patella tendinopathy, quad tendon, ten, uh, you know, tendinopathy, Achilles tendinopathy, those tend to be overuse injuries. And we're learning a lot about how tendons like to get rehabbed. They actually like load. Um, they like controlled environments. Um, and so uh, my rehab plans mostly focus on getting the tendons stronger in a safe, controlled environment and then building up the load of the tendon um, because there's been a breakdown. Um, and so that's basically the biggest um the three top th- injuries that I am seeing, I do see some plantar fasciopathy and um, it's very related to a tight calf and an Achilles tendon and same mm-hmm. thing, trying to get that foot um, to be stable and strong um, so that it can stop uh, stressing the plantar fascia. Um, mm-hmm. Does the toe have enough mobility that it's not stressing the plantar fascia? So um, those are some of the things that I see and I'm treating uh, pretty regularly. Yeah. Okay. And I'm guessing that I, I think we probably all know the answer to this, but of the three sports in triathlon, which uh, leads most people to you, I'm guessing it's going to be running. Yeah, I think um, I've seen my fair share of cyclists as well. Um, hmm. But yes, the running because the loads are, you know, not only are you in a fatigued state because it's the last part of your tr- leg of your triathlon, yeah. but also because of the forces of, you know, hitting the ground. So yes, I do see a lot of running related injuries. But uh, very close to it is cycling-related injuries from just a, a repetitive nature of um, that knee and, and cycling. So Right. Okay. And so we've already kind of highlighted and touched on the fact that it's better to not get injured in the first place. And with that, and obviously be proactive versus reactive. Um, so with that in mind and looking at it through that lens, what are the, some of the – and kind of really taking like the 30,000-foot view here and coming out – Um, what are some of the ways to prevent these injuries in the first place? And I'm thinking things like, you know, your your strength and conditioning work in the gym um, or basic preventative work that you might do at home or um, what would be your kind of go-tos there when it comes to, hey, let's just not get injured in the first place. So one of the things that 
we don't think of very commonly is how much we're increasing our training each week. Mm -hmm. So I think first and foremost, you know, don't do what I do is decide to do, you know, a half marathon next week and, you know, go out and do it. Um, and that, again, the research is showing us just too much, too much load on the body when it's not got a good baseline can be uh, a big reason for breakdown. So I think first and foremost, being, being clever about your training and not overdoing it uh, because we all overdo it, right? Like that's why I'm saying this again and again. Um, but like the, the, the range is not more than 10 to 20% each week of an mm -hmm. increase in weekly mileage. And so thinking about that and thinking of what, what fits your body most, like I have realized personally, I have to do the 10% because anything more, yeah, because I sit all day, the rest of the time is leads to a little bit of breakdown, but someone else may be able to do a little bit of higher jump week to week. And especially yeah. coming back from an injury, maybe thinking about being more conservative and mm -hmm. having a nice slow re-entry where you're mm -hmm. successful than having a increased injury, uh, increased um, time to get back into the, and increase your training too fast, and then just go back into that injured state. So first and foremost, uh, I would say, you know, be smart about increasing your mileage while training. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of coaches would say, or uh, especially when it comes to running, like more than 10% a week could, will really, especially if you're coming back from an injury or if you're relatively new to running, like more than 10% a week is probably going to lead you down, down the wrong path, I think. Absolutely. Um, so my second tip is just getting strong as an ox, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're going to ask your body to absorb all these forces um, on, on the run, on the bike, on the swim, uh, are your muscles strong enough to handle the load of yeah. the work? Yeah. Um, and as triathletes, you know, you're doing three swims, you're doing three runs, you're doing maybe four bikes. Yeah. It's really hard to fit in that strength piece. Mm -hmm. But my advice to my injured uh, triathletes is maybe replacing one of the workouts. Like if your running base is really good yeah. and you can afford to do two runs and one strength, that's worth more to you than trying to do three runs and then adding it on. So, you know, adding some strength um, is a really good piece. Uh, I highly encourage, you know, thinking about periodization if you're a more serious triathlete. So in the winter, mm -hmm. doing mm -hmm. your heavier work in the weight room, backing off the mileage. And then in the summers when you're racing and competing, uh, maybe doing more maintenance sort of workouts where you're addressing strength in the muscles, but not lifting the heaviest weights you can. So like thinking about periodization as well. And if you have yeah. the ability to work with someone who can design a strength plan for you that knows triathlons, um, it'll go a long way because they can fit it in and tell you what to do and how to do it. Yeah, I think that's really, really good, solid advice. And I think, like you say, building a robust and resilient body will re and, and maybe taking away one of the sessions, one of the workouts of your, say, strongest sport, whether that's swimming, biking, running, and then replacing that with like some time in the gym. Uh, yeah, for sure helps you kind of build the chassis before you kind of start throwing everything on top of it. So, Absolutely. um, yeah. I think that's time, time well invested. Yeah. And then my third tip is, you know, if you take a muscle and you keep contracting it over time, right? So you're, you're biking, you're running, you're swimming, it can get, start to get a little shortened or tighter. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about a good flexibility routine, mm. I usually tell my athletes, um, 
to wait a couple of hours after because if you try to stretch right after a run workout, you're still warm and you have like all the flexibility in the world. But you know, a couple of hours later when your body's starting to feel tight and tweaky and that's a good time to either do a yoga class or do some foam rolling or whatever fits in your life for flexibility and increasing the length of the muscles that have just worked hard for you um, is a good idea because over time, clinically, I've seen that muscles are getting tight and then you're doing more and more and now it's pulling on the tendon and causing a change in your normal biomechanics. Yeah. And if you think about a lot of people's day to day, you know, maybe they work out before work or they work out in their lunch hour and then they're back at a desk and how kind of corrosive that can be. So the, the main parts of the body that as triathletes we use, you know, like I'm thinking hips, I'm thinking, you know, like I think about when I sit at a desk and I've been for a run in the morning and then might get up at lunchtime. And if I haven't set, I try and set an alarm or a reminder to get me, to get me off my butt and open my hips up. But otherwise like I get up and I'm like, oh my goodness, what happened to my hamstrings? Like they Absolutely. are now so yeah. tight. Yeah. Um, so yes. So I actually learned one of the guys I used to sit opposite when we used to work in an office, like one of the guys I used to sit opposite, uh, the Jonathan Beverly, the EIC of podium runner, he used to set an alarm and he would get up and literally in the middle of the office, just like stretch out his hip flexors. And I was like, dude, you look kind of funny, but you know what? Good on you. I'm going to do that too. And right, I, absolutely. so I, yeah. And so, um, I, yeah, working from home makes that kind of thing a little bit more, um, easy, I think. Yeah. But, uh, or even difficult. I think I've seen the opposite from working from home because I sit on my desk and I don't have to get up to do anything, you know, yeah, that's true. Uh, versus the office. If I need more water, I have to get up, Go walk get up. to the yeah. water fountain, get the water here. You know, I yeah. can yell at some kid who's doing homeschool and, <laughs> and hopefully get some water or, you know, I, I tend to lose myself in my work and then realize yeah. three hours later. So like, you know, as we're talking about this, I'm thinking after I speak to you, I'm going to get on the bike. And all I've done this morning was sit at it's my sick. desk. Yep. And so now I'm going to get those hip flexors even tighter in this shortened position. And yeah. tomorrow when I go for a run, maybe my my form will be so different, but I won't notice. And then 10 right. days later, is my glute going to hurt? Because now I've uh, hurt myself from just my normal day-to-day sedentary behavior. And isn't it crazy how, well, it's not crazy at all. It's completely, completely makes sense. But how day on day after each of those workouts and sitting down and your body, you you start to get used to that kind of more tight position and that more like whether uh, you can't, you can't see this if you're listening, but as I, I'm, I'm sat here on video and I'm kind of like leaning further and further forward. <laughs> um, like, so I'm basically getting tighter and tighter, but my brain starts to recognize as that, that as the normal. And then you only get into trouble when things start to feel really tight. Right. And that was basically me on Saturday. I walked out of an ART session on Saturday lunchtime and I was like, oh my God, I feel like I'm actually wonky now. But I was <laughs> completely, I was back to being completely realigned, but I actually felt wonky because I just got used to being so twisted. And right, right. Yeah. And so, actually that's the number one reason I see a lot of shoulder issues. Yeah. You know, we're all hunched over at a desk. We're all hunched over on our bike. Um, sometimes in the run you're hunched over because you're just trying to make it to the end and you're exhausted. Mm -hmm. Um, and then over time, that just becomes normal posture. So now when you go to swim, your pecs are getting tighter and tighter, and you're just leading into this hunched over posture. Yeah. But then you go to lift, you know, something, a heavy bowl and put it in the cabinet, and then you tweak your rotator cuff, mm -hmm. because the whole scapula is now sitting differently on a, uh, your shoulder blade sitting differently on your thorax, 
mm-hmm. and uh, it's ruined the length tension relationship of your muscles. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of times my shoulder injuries and shoulder pain, we just work on getting into good uh, posture and, uh, you know, opening up the chest because all the other times we're rounded on that bike or over our desks. Yeah, our basically. phones, our phones too, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? Like texting neck or whatever they call it. Like, because yeah. people are just kind of... Um, but yeah, that's, that's definitely super. I think that's, that is very, very real in the world we live in now. Um, I felt like a horrible mom the other day because my 10 year old comes in and he says he has some neck pain. I'm like, Oh gosh, have I put the electronics in front of you for too long? (laughs) You know, but they've been, you know, through COVID been, you know, school from home and, you know, electronics to be busy because they can't go out and just interact with everyone and so yeah unfortunately i think we're seeing we're going to see a generation of this uh neck pain stuff from just yeah. uh damn you covid one more reason why we hate you i know i know <laughs> where does it ever end but um on a more positive note yes um when Oh, actually, maybe this isn't positive. I don't know. But I was going to say, so say we do have like a tight neck or say I do have a tight lower back or you, you know, you're feeling like uh, your hamstrings are really tight after being sat at your desk where your hip flexors are. Um, when, and again, this is probably one the answer to this is probably like, it depends, but we're going to ask it anyway. When do you seek help, professional help from somebody like you? When do you, you know, when do you make an appointment to go to the clinic? And when, if you've got this kind of niggle or soreness or tightness, and when do you know that maybe this is just something like I need to rest? Maybe this is something I just need to back off. Maybe I need to go water run, aqua jog this week versus run outdoors or on the treadmill, whatever. Like, are there any guidelines there from your, you know, from your side? Yes. Um, so I would say um, if you're starting to feel a niggle, right? Mm-hmm. So I would pay attention to it. And if it's starting to get worse and there's nothing you can do to get it to go away or subside, and I would call um, your physio um, and make an appointment. Yeah. Um, my clinic tends to be a little busier. So I would I tell my patients, if it's you start to feel something, make an appointment. Right. And then if you're getting closer to the time and it's feeling great, just, you know, as long as there's enough time, cancel your appointment. But you want to be able to get in. Um, when we see something sooner, uh, we can uh, address it and, um, and give you the pieces uh, to make it better quicker. What, what, what I really breaks my heart is when someone's had, you know, six months or a year of pain and now they're coming in and now the whole body is compensated for, right. for the injury. And so now it's like an onion. I'm like peeling back the layers to figure out what was the issue to begin with. Can I figure it out? Like, was it the ankle tightness that led to the knee overworking and now the hips hurting? Yeah. So then my detective work gets a little bit more... I was more, uh, just about to say, this is kind of becomes detective work and yeah. you're, you're kind of working on a murder mystery type thing. Absolutely. So I prefer when someone's, uh, you know, had something for five to seven days and they're mm-hmm. just checking in to make sure it's nothing worse, that we can, we can give some things for them to, some exercises to address it, maybe some stretches or whatever, and it goes away than something that's been going on for two to three weeks. Yeah. Um, definitely, if you can't put any weight through something, like if you can't, you know, you've done a run and now you can't put your weight and walk home, that's a that's a big reason to go see someone immediately. You know, bones like to, they should be able to take your load. And if you can't put weight through it, that's something to, uh, to see someone a little sooner. Um, but in general, 
I think uh, the sooner I see something, the more effective I can be. Otherwise, you have to just see me more often. And a, a, a joke I used to, I like to tell my athletes is, you know, if it's been going on six months, I need at least half that time to get you back to your normal level. So if something's mm-hmm. been going on seven days and you come in, I may need one or two treatment sessions versus, you know, three months of treatment sessions. Yeah, I think um, I, I would say like from personal experience, uh, the the more you when when you're first starting out, you know, when I was first starting out, you don't necessarily know all the things. I mean, you know, if something feels tight, you know, if something feels sore, but there's maybe more of an inclination to just keep running through it. Um, and I think as you learn to get to know your body better and you get more attuned to like, oh, this doesn't normally feel this way or this feels slightly different, then that's kind of, um, yeah, just something that happens, I think, with experience and with the mileage that you do and getting to know your body. But um, yeah, I mean, when I was training full time, I would pretty much like the first few steps out of bed to the bathroom in the morning, I would just be like scanning head to toe. Right. Does, does everything feel okay? Does everything feel like it did yesterday? Or you know, right. does it feel better, worse? What's going on? And I think that's something that a lot of like athletes do, really. They're kind of in tune with their body, and that helps a lot for, um, well, helps a lot in preventing injury and helps a lot when they're trying to get treated for injuries, I think. but um, Yeah, another tip I thought about is, you know, if one single area is hurting versus, you know, just overall soreness, mm-hmm. that's something to keep an eye on. So, like, if your ne- left knee is hurting on the inside – versus everything else feels fine, that's maybe something to just watch over your training for the next few days. Yeah. Because like one single spot shouldn't be uh, aggravated for some reason. But like if your legs just feel like trash because you did a hard bike or hard run, that's a very different uh, feeling. So if you sort of feel one little spot nagging, I would start to, you know, think like, oh, you know, does stretching help it feel better? Am I really tight? Or does rolling help it feel better? Or just maybe doing some squats and exercises make it feel better. Mm-hmm. And I try to kind of focus on that versus, you know, um, just general soreness. So that's a really good point to amicate. Yeah, because I think there's like just generic fatigue or, um, anti- you know, anticipated fatigue that you would expect from doing a big workout the day before or two days before. And then there's like soreness, tightness. Oh, this doesn't feel right. This isn't my normal. This isn't my normal body. Um and also things like, you know, you mentioned a left knee there, oftentimes, and it, this comes back to being a detective, right? So oftentimes a left knee might be caused by a right hip or a right, you know, right lower back issue or something like that. And everything's kind of compensating and it's all, it's all interconnected. It's all yeah, one big um, body. Absolutely. And one of the big things that I do is really watch the athlete do what they're doing when it hurts. Right. So if you have pain when running, I, I try my best to put you on the treadmill with all the cameras on to see what do you look like when running? Because with the research, we don't really know if like a weakness corresponds to the injury or does tightness correspond to injury. But what I can see is what you're doing is that directly corresponding to injury. So for example, the other day, you know, I had someone come in with some knee pain. And as they're running, they, I saw that they were taking really long strides and heel striking and landing with their knee really uh, straight. Mm -hmm. So I did some drills with them on the treadmill right there. And they were able, they were able to give me feedback. Oh, yeah, that actually takes away my pain. Mm -hmm. So right there, and then we could like address it and identify it. I try to do that even on the bike. uh, And in the swim, like I try to work with the athlete in the environment that's causing them pain to really Mm -hmm watch and see what they're doing and then give them strategies for performance and for um, their biomechanics that can help clear it up if we can. Sometimes it's a weakness thing and then we got, you know, then it's four or five weeks of strength training. 
But if I can do something in the moment, I try to give them some strategies for the activity itself. Right, because then being able to watch them you know, on the treadmill or um, doing a bike fit and watch them riding, whatever, that's a lot of data points for, for you, I would imagine. Like That's a lot of information that you can then use to apply to treatment and, and uh, diagnosis or um, preventative work or whatever. Right, it just helps my detective work when I can see the body as they're hurting. And then, you know, like one that I always see is, you know, uh, knee pain because um, the way they're riding, their knees are way over their toes. And so like something simple as, you know, scoot back, sit up and show them in the mirror, you know, as they sit, uh, they sit uh, back more, if their seat's a little bit higher, how the pain goes away. Like that's really, like really helpful for the athlete too, to see like, okay, you know, like, yeah, I was just had, just had to tweak these little things. Yeah. I would imagine somebody in your position, in your profession is a big advocate of, of a good bike fit. Uh, yeah, there's, I mean, a good bike I mean, fit. Like you can't replace that, yeah. Right, because after I'm thinking, kind of like after run, after the correct gear, after the correct gear selection in terms of equipment, in terms of like run shoes, making sure you've got good run shoes and they're the right right shoes for you. Like I would, I would imagine that like having a good bike fit, especially if you're riding a lot and you're doing longer distances, like having a good bike fit can really help you stay out of a PT's clinic. Absolutely, because if you're you know, if your bike's too too small or too big for you, like let's say, uh, like I had an experience where, again, I bought a second hand bike as I was just getting into triathlons. It was too big for me. Um, it was sized up. And so I was in this over flexed position and my lower back, first of all, mm-hmm. I didn't have the power I could have from a well-fit yeah. bike, but my poor lower back was just overworked. And then I was running and kicking in the same compensations uh, and so, yeah, a, a good bike fit and a bike fit for you, there's nothing to replace it. Now, I know bikes are expensive. And mm-hmm. if you're on a bike that's hurting you, there are ways to tweak it um, versus have to just go out and buy a new bike. But but go into your bike shop and get a good fit and make sure you feel comfortable. Yeah. Like you don't yeah. need to be in the most aero position right. your first triathlon, right? If that doesn't right. feel right to your body then be in a position where you feel good because that's how you can generate the most power. Right, comfort. And then, yeah, definitely. And I know a lot of like top bike fitters who would work with a physio you know, in, in conjunction with a physio to make sure that like, if, we're, if we're making changes to, and this is obviously kind of if you're more experienced or you know, racing at a high level, but if, you know, let's make changes that your body is ready for. And if your body's not ready for, let's, make, let's get your body ready and then let's make the changes. So you kind of like get the order right versus, you know, yeah, trying to do it those the wrong were way some of, uh, Those were some of my favorite days when I'd like go to the bike shop and we'd make appointments together, both the, bi- uh, the uh, bike shop owner who did the fits and me. Mm-hmm. And we'd like have a schedule and, you know, I do the PT assessments like, are they tight in their hamstrings? Are they tight in their quads? You know, how should the how flex should the lumbar uh, spine be? All of that. And like those were the most fun days because we were working together as a team to yeah. find the best fit for the athlete. Yeah, that's super. I mean, that's definitely how it should be. Right? I, you know, as, as much as that's possible, I know that I realize that's not going to be possible for, for everybody, for most people, but like that's, that's the way it should be, um, I think. Yeah, I actually teach that as part of my PT classes. Like if you want to work with the endurance athlete community, go talk to the bike shop owners, go talk to the running shop owners and start to work with them because we're all trying to make uh, the environment best for the athlete. And so if you can team up together, there's nothing like it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
and then yeah that all comes that comes circling back to like staying staying injury free and uh although is that the best business model for you just joking (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean the satisfaction of knowing that someone's racing and doesn't need you anymore because you've given them the ingredients for their special sauce is actually much more much more yeah yeah for sure i was just i was just joking (laughs) but there are enough injured uh people out there for all of us to have our clinics full unfortunately so yes your business model isn't going to fall away anytime soon (laughs) yeah (laughs) um but maybe let's wrap up with well no it's not there's a couple questions i got left for you just um as we're wrapping up, but uh, really kind of like good habits that people can get into in terms of like, we, let's assume that you're a really good triathlete and you're really diligent and you've got the time and resources to do this and you're doing your strength work and you're swimming and you're biking and you're running and you're staying and your body feels good, but there's still things that you can do to enable like you to stay feeling good and stay feeling injury free and stay injury free. Um, so what would be some of your things that you would suggest to like build into a daily routine or a weekly routine? You know, I'm thinking things like, foam rolling or I don't know you tell me I don't want to put these things in your mouth so yeah no and I think we hit on them earlier you know uh, making sure that you've got a good flexibility routine so after you've made a muscle work really hard that you're doing some recovery work whether that's foam rolling whether that's putting on the Normatec boots whatever works for your body but Mm -hmm. something that I think we don't touch on enough is you know the sleep the hydration the nutrition, you know, um, all of those contribute to your health, uh, overall well-being as well. And so, you know, I sit here uh, probably having eight ounces of water today, going to get about to get on my bike, giving giving this talk. You know, it's really hard um, Mm -hmm. to remember all the pieces, especially in busy lives. But I think but I think like making a list of, you know, the things that are important to you and then prioritizing them uh, is important. But just to get back to your original question, I think like um, doing the recovery stuff. And, you know, if you're going to be sitting at the desk, putting that timer on, well, you're not only doing your stretches, but maybe you're drinking some water, you're making sure you're sleeping, you know, all of those good things that's going to keep you healthy, um, going forward. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, if something starts to nag or whatever, getting the, the proper rehab so that it can go away versus you're just dealing with it again and again. Yeah, for sure. Very, very helpful, I think. Okay, so let's wrap up with, I want to ask you about a little trip you've got coming up to uh, Tokyo. I do, and I'm really excited. (laughs) Yeah, tell us about that. This is is exciting. (laughs) So, yeah, so this is really exciting. In 2018, uh, the U.S. paratriathlon team added uh, a physio to their, um, their support team. So I've been traveling with the paratriathlon since then. And I got chosen to go with them to Tokyo uh, this year. Cool. Uh, and so on Monday, I leave to go to Tokyo. Um, first, we're going to Kona, actually, where they're doing pre-camp. Whoa. Uh, yep. And we're going this to... This is next week. This is this next is, Yeah, this is next oh, week. Wow, I didn't realize it was that soon. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> so first, we go to Kona, and they're doing some heat acclim- acclimatization and getting ready. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then we fly on the 21st to Tokyo, um, where they'll race the 27th and 28th and it's on NBC mm-hmm. Olympic channel. So tune in mm-hmm. to watch, but yeah, I'm uh, really blessed to have this opportunity to support our paratriathletes. That's very cool. Wow. Very, very cool. Well, yeah, we wish you the very best of luck with that. And obviously tons of success to the U S team and to all of you. I know the backroom staff work as hard as the athletes. So, um, yeah, good on you. And thank you. Thank and you. thank you so much for all your 
all your insights today. This is a fabulous chat. And I think a lot of people will get a lot from it. So yeah, very insightful, very, um, very helpful. So thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you so much for having me. If you're enjoying the show, please don't forget to subscribe to Triathlete Fitter and Faster wherever you listen to your podcasts. Leave us a review if you like what you hear. Rate and review us as it helps us out and it helps others like you to find us. Next up, we're joined by Chris Foster, our executive editor and resident gear guru, who's going to talk us through some of the gear and gadgets that can help you keep your body injury free. Here he is. Hello, Chris. How are you doing? Hey, Kay. I'm good. How are you? Well, pretty good. Thank you. And it's kind of exciting this show because Chris is actually here in person. We normally record remotely. Chris is based down in LA and uh, here in the Boulder office. I would normally be alone just in a dark room, but instead we have Chris right here. We're, <laughs> we're having a tri-team summit this week. And uh, so we're all in, in person, IRL, as, IRL we're saying, yes. as we're saying. So yeah, this episode of Fit and Faster is recorded in person. So <laughs> Special edition. And we're obviously talking all things injury prevention. And I know you've got a lot of uh, a lot of ideas about how to stay, how to use the best gear to stay injury free. And uh, we're going to kick off by talking about some of the purely physical things that uh, you can do, or some of the purely physical items you can use in your training and recovery to help stay injury free. Yeah. So there's like you know entire industries built around gear for recovery and injury prevention. So we could, I mean, I could sit here for hours and talk about all the different kinds of recovery gear. Um, but I like to break it up into kind of two categories. Yeah. I think there's, there's the physical, like you alluded to, you know, these are the things that, that are actually like, you, you know, imposing physical something on you, mm-hmm. you know, like fixing something or helping you recover or whatever. Um, and then there's also these little like check engine light things that are more like monitoring how you're doing. So you can kind of pull yourself back before you get too close to an injury. Yeah. So we'll talk about the physical things first. Um, like I like to break these down into further categories and these are not like things that, you know, the brands really talk about, but I think it just kind of helps you think these, like what, what you need, like think it through. Um, like I, I first like to think of like active body work tools. Mm-hmm. Like these are the things that like you have to use your own force or your force plus the help of gravity to, you know, impact your muscles or you know to 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 make them feel better to you know target uh, an injury or to you know just just generally recover before you have the injury itself right um the most basic and honestly like if you're a new triathlete and you're listening to this and you're just like i don't know anything about injury prevention i don't know anything about recovery buy a foam roller the foam roller is the key piece it's it's it's, it should be like you get your bike stuff you get your swim stuff you get your run stuff and you get your foam roller right like it is required equipment for triathlon for sure um and the good news is foam rollers are cheap you can find them online for like 10 to 20 bucks just a basic soft white foam roller yep um you know physical therapists all have them they're they're super cheap um and they do wonders you know you you kind of lay on them um kind of let like i said like gravity assists you on that one you roll different body parts over them in different ways you know you angle your body i mean you know, we won't get into all the different ways to use a foam roller. There's yeah. guides and stuff on that, but but that's like your basic. Yeah. Like, you know, in fact, we uh, we ran Ask a Trainer piece just a couple of weeks ago about uh, best ways to use how to use a foam roller. So I'll link that into the show notes for people to uh, to reference for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, there's so many ways to use this basic thing, and like I said, ten to twenty bucks, um, you get a soft foam roller, um, and that's where you should start. Like, yeah. even if you if you've never used a foam roller before, but you're an advanced triathlete. I would not hop into kind of the next thing we're going to talk about is these 
mixed density or mixed texture or mixed shape foam rollers mm-hmm. um, that have like lots of other little features to them. Um, the, you know, they're typically a little bit harder. Mm-hmm. Um, they typically have, you know, like bumps or grooves or ridges or something like that. Um, and I feel like, like if you first start with foam rolling and you get into that, you're gonna be like, this is really painful. Like I don't, you know, I'm not really clear on how to use this right. Um, and so, you know, honestly, the best injury prevention thing is the thing you're going to use. Yeah. And so if you don't use it because it's uncomfortable or because you're confused by it, you're not going to use it. So yeah, good. for sure. Um, so for me, like I've always liked the, there's a $45, uh, roller called the Rolga that has just like, it's almost like a wave, um, kind of design to it. So you can get, you know, different parts of your body in there and it can target little smaller muscles. Mm-hmm. Um, and they make it in different densities. And then a lot of people really like the, um, the brand is called roll, but it's a $50 R4. Okay. Um, and that one, I, we've reviewed that in the past and that's been kind of a favorite amongst endurance athletes. I think they're, they might actually be in Boulder. So very appropriate. Very cool. (laughs) Yeah. One of my favorites is the trigger point one too. Yeah. Um, and they have like a whole series, like you can use the ball, you can use the foam roller. They've got a bigger, they've got a bigger foam roller. They've got a smaller one. And yeah, it's one that the smaller one is super easy to travel with. So if you're racing, going to training camp, whatever, then yeah, you're all set. Yeah. And that's the big thing. That's like part of that. Like if you don't use it, it's no good. Right. So like you got to think said, like. we've so many things about. Right. Right. Like when it comes to gear. You have the fanciest one. You have this giant foam roller that's like, you know, amazing, super expensive. But you're like, oh, I can't bring it anywhere. I right. can't bring it with me on race day. I can't take it to the hotel, you know, for my race weekend. So it's like, okay, well, that's not that useful to you. So. So yeah, portability is something you need to think of. And they do make, you know, like half ones or like hollow ones that you can loop into a backpack or, um, so that, that's a big thing. Like when you're shopping for a roller, it seems oh, simple, yeah. but you know, how, how am I going to use this? When am I going to use this? You know, um, other kind of manual tools, you know, that, that are active bodywork tools. Um, I know you mentioned trigger point, um, they have a ton of these tools, you know, thinking like a foot roller or like, um, you know, they have a ball or a vibrating ball. Yep. Um, there's a roll makes something called the R3. That's this, it's almost like a mini roller that you can use for your foot. Um, that's like good for like plantar fasciitis. Yeah. Um, and not even just when you have it, but like heading it off at the pass. Yes. Like you're, yeah. I mean, like you're, you're training just, for an ultra right now. Right. So your feet take a brutal beating. Yeah, I've actually learned to keep uh, one of those balls just under my desk and yeah. then just literally just like roll it under, you know, it's under my feet. But as I'm sitting, just working away under yeah. my desk and it's just like takes care of that without having to think too much about it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then, and again, you know, it doesn't impact your day. It's yeah. not like it takes an hour to do my rolling thing. Um, and you're saying like you use a ball. I mean, for instance, $3 lacrosse ball. Yeah. Boom. You know, yeah. okay, you could spend $30, $30 on the R3 or some of trigger point stuff, but um start with a lacrosse ball find it at any sporting goods store um i don't like tennis balls i think they're too soft they're too soft yeah um i've heard people use like pool ball like you know pool cue Ouch. balls and stuff but like i think the lacrosse ball is the sweet spot <laughs> like yeah it's hard to go wrong with a lacrosse ball um there are always some good diy options when it comes to these oh my things gosh. yeah you, you, yeah if you do an internet you search can, you can find like oh, crazy things yeah um but yeah so so that's kind of like the active you know, like you've got to like apply force to it or yeah. use gravity. Yep. It takes, you know, time and effort and, you know, I mean, I hate to say it, but sometimes we can be lazy. You know, we yeah, work out a lot. After, yeah, after a long day of work and you've already done two workouts that day or whatever, you know, or right. 
everything else that life throws at you, you don't, maybe you don't want to sit down and uh, or take time take time out to uh, foam roll for however long. Right. But and so typically you, it's uncomfortable. So it's like you're not like, oh, this is going to feel amazing at that moment. It'll feel better after. Yeah. But um, so there's also some other kind of things that are. Uh, I call like a hybrid bodywork tool uh-huh. um, that you you still have to like you know physically hold the thing. I'm sorry, you can't just lay there and let it. You know that's called a masseuse. Um, <laughs> but this is like a hybrid bodywork tool. So um, the big thing right now, and we've talked about this before, we've done tons of roundups. Um, percussive massage devices. Yeah, they're a big deal right now. Huge, very trendy. Yeah, but very good. Yeah, yeah, they're great. They're they use. Um, you know, like the impact of a, a different density or shaped head mm-hmm. um, at different frequencies, you know, speeds or um, depths um, to kind of like, you know, knead out your muscles. If it's prevention, it's just to kind of keep them loose. But if it's if it's actually targeting an, an already, you know, like an injury that's coming on, you can use it to kind of specifically get into those spots. Um, they're much easier, I think. Than using, you know, a ball or a foam roller. You don't yeah. have to contort yourself into positions yeah. on the floor. And um, you can do it depending on the brand. Um, some of them are quieter. Um, like Hyper Ice has a quiet one. You can watch TV. Yeah. You know, so you're multitasking, right? Um, not really, but... Um, <laughs> but those are... Well, yeah, you're relaxing and recovering. Right. Or you could be watching a documentary. You could be learning. Learning and recovering, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so those are big. I'm both the big brands right now for percussive devices are Hyperice and Theragun. Yep. Um, Theragun's kind of the original. They both start with their full size models like 400 bucks. I mean, yeah, so it's it's kind of an investment. Yeah, and it's but it's something that if you if you used well and if you used right, then yeah. will really help keep you, you know, injury free and feeling good. And yeah, yeah, and they and they are easier. So it's like you're you're going to use it more often. You know, it's people you know you always say like you put your money where your mouth is. Like yep. if you invest in something, you're more likely to use it. So. Right. $400 may seem like a lot, but it's also like, look, I'm going to use this thing because I spent $400 on it. Yeah. Um, so, and, and you were just saying like there's DIY. DIY for percussive massagers is a wild rabbit hole to go down. Uh, yes. <laughs> I will hold my hand up here and say that Ben Delaney from Velo News and I once <laughs> shot a recovery video where we went through <laughs> all the different devices and then the homemade DIY options, which did involve a homemade percussive uh, device, which, um, yeah, I'll just point again, I'll just point you to that in the show notes <laughs> so that you can see what kind of uh, car crash that became. But, yeah, um, they're weird and, and some work, but. I mean, yeah, honestly, it's the it's same like, basic principles and mechanics, yeah. but um, yeah, obviously the, the, the kind of, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it made for an entertaining video project, I yeah. guess. Yeah. People have fun with it. Like it's, but, but you know, like most things you kind of get what you pay for. There are budget versions of percussive massagers out there yeah, yeah. and we've tested them and you can look online. We've done some pretty good roundups. Yeah. Um, you know, and there are ones for like 200 bucks, but yeah. they feel like $200 percussive yeah. massagers. Yeah. Um, and, and some just, of them can be noisier than others for sure. Right. And battery life comes in. And Exactly. Um, like those yeah. are the things you're you're paying for with $400. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like force is a big one. You know, yes. it just feels like a tapping or yeah. like, you know, like one of those chair massagers or something. You're like, well, yeah. that's not what I need. Yeah. That's not flushing anything out. Um, or yeah, or they die quickly or, you know, they don't last very long. So, um, so the percussive massagers are kind of the big hybrid bodywork tools. There's other ones out there, but those are, you know, that's what's popular right yeah. now. Um, and then the one that everyone wants is the passive bodywork gear because that that means you can just switch off, lay down, yeah, and you don't do anything, which we you're going to recover automatically, right? <laughs> Automagically, um, yeah. And aside from the you know whatever hundred dollar an hour masseuse, which is probably one of the better options, yeah, um, definitely. 
but you can't. But that isn't going to fit into the gear section right now. I was going to say, yeah, the gear guru does not cover masseuses. I don't <laughs> review masseuses. I probably should, but uh, I haven't yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so anyway, passive body work, there's, you know, there's essentially no work on the part of the triathlete. Um, while the, the previous devices are very good for targeting specific things, yeah. whether um, something you know is an issue for you or has already become an issue. Yeah. These passive devices are a little more like recovery level. Yes. Um, and I know you're thinking like, okay, well, we're, we're, you know, venturing into recovery. That's different than injury prevention, but it isn't really. Well, yeah, there's probably a blurred line here actually, isn't there? Like between uh, what's recovery and what's what would be considered preventative uh, maintenance, you know, right. just staying one step ahead of things that, you know, issues that in your body that, you know, can cause you problems or just generally staying healthy and, and well. Right. Um, and so I think like compression comes under that topic of like, how do I run, a, a, you know, cover the rumble you might want to cover without getting any niggles, aches, pains, tightness, like compression gear is the sort of thing that can help you stay on the right track there. Exactly. And it's like, you know, I, I when I coach, I coach high school runners, is, you know, oftentimes it's not the injury didn't start where it hurts. Yes. So, you know, it's an instability that led to something bigger, yeah. you know, that manifested in your knee or your shin or your foot, yeah. whatever. So the good thing about compression is if you don't know where the, the genesis of that injury is starting, because yeah. we don't often don't know right. until it's too late, um, you're targeting everything. You know, you're yeah. keeping everything tight. You're preventing lactic acid from you know, your legs or your, yeah. your upper body if you've got an upper body compression um, garment. Um, so you're able to, it's, you know, it's a little bit less targeted, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's, it's preventative in the way that you, you don't know where it's going to come from until yeah. it happens. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the basics you see every triathlete, almost every triathlete has dabbled in this is the compression socks. I feel like it's like the hallmark look. I know. <laughs> you can spot a triathlete in an airport a million miles away. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, um it's definitely the, yeah. That's definitely the vibe. Yeah. yeah compression sock vibe. Um, we like the compressed, I mean, I like, actually, I can't speak for you. I like the compressed sport ones. Yeah. Um, yep. I think you've tried some of those yep. too. Like 15, 25 bucks, not a killer investment. And um, I've actually been wearing 2XU's stuff a lot this last, these last few months. Yeah. It's like kind of finish long run, pull, pull on their tights. Yep. And they, you always know when you've got a good pair of compression tights, because it's like, an, it's almost a workout to get into them. Right. Yeah. And then and I, I just stay in them passive, for, but... I stay in them for the rest of the day purely because I just don't have the energy to move out of them. Right. <laughs> it makes you passive. <laughs> I know. I now, have... if we could just get someone to put them on them, on for us, then it would be entirely passive. Well, we'll get into that. But again, um, different show, Chris. Different show. We'll, we'll work on that. Um, but yeah, the two XU line is great. They 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 have like a core um, compression garment line yeah. starts at like ninety bucks. Yeah. For tights, not a huge investment. Yeah. Um, you'd throw those on, you know, for listeners who are like, I still don't really understand what compression gar garments are. You'd you'd wear compression socks while you're running or cycling if you're a bold triathlete um, or, or typically after. Um, Most commonly after, I would yeah. say. I mean, you do see people running in them a lot, I think, but yeah. um, definitely after. Right. And definitely the tights, I think, are um, kind of a go-to or after yeah really i think they make a difference yeah oh no i've i've always felt better after that yeah and you will see like non-triathletes wear just kind of a caveat here you will see non-triathletes use compression tights like during workouts like in the gym or mm. whatever things like that yeah. i it's fine for gym work but like you're not going to want to go for a run with compression tights it's not that yeah. kind of tight you no. know it's not going to it would keep you warm but it's not not ideal so don't don't think oh i'm gonna get two for one with this um i don't really like working out with them no, I can't say that I've d ever done that. But. Yeah, I've seen people do it. I've tried it. It's not awesome. But yeah. anyway, um, 
But then, you know, that was pretty cheap. So what's really expensive? Because um, <laughs> this athletes. is all about spending money. Yeah, of course. I'm a care guru. Um, so there's, you know, compression boots are kind of like the, the luxe version yeah. of this passive um, recovery. Uh, you know, Normatech was kind of the, at the forefront of this whole thing. They've been since bought by uh, Hyperice. So yes. it's Hyperice's Normatech line now. Yep. Um, they are these these big boots that, you know, for anyone who's never seen them, uh, they fill up with air using an air pump like a compressor. Um, but kind of the difference between compression tights and these things is that they'll, they can compress in different like waves. You know, yep. it'll start at your feet and then slowly go upwards. Yep. And so that's actively flushing. Or, yeah. You know, they say actively flushing. Yep. Um, lactic acid, getting the blood running through. Um, so there is a reason, you know, you're going to spend what, 900 bucks. Yeah. I mean, they've come down, they definitely come down in price. Um, I'd say like the speed hounds, I've got a pair of speed hounds and they're now six, I think they're about six, they're between six and $700 and they're very similar. I think, you know, I think a lot of those brands, it's air, you know, um, but that, you know, they have like various programming, um, setups. I think they're like Bluetooth connected now. And, um, so there's. Yeah, those are great. You see a lot of pro athletes using those. Yep. Um, you'll see booths for that at, you know, big races like Kona. Yep. Um, they're good because you just lay back and it just programs its way and does its thing. Yeah, you know, I think these work on a number of levels, um, especially if you're kind of lazy about recovery yeah. or you're somebody that doesn't like a lot of triathletes. If you're type A, I'm just going to kind of raise my hand here a little <laughs> bit. Um, then actually learning to sit still yeah. and stop like it's very easy to do, yeah. right? It's um, you, you basically put them on as long as you've got everything you need. You can put them on, sit down, turn on the TV or get out your book, whatever. And they force you to sit your ass down and you're not going anywhere. Yeah. It's actually one of the better things I like about compression boots. It's yeah. like, hey, EK, you have to stop now and you have yeah. to sit down and rest. And Have so- you ever tried not sitting down with compression boots have you ever tried going to like the fridge or something i funny story i did actually have to go close my apartment screen door the other day and i had the boots on and i was like oh there's still 20 minutes there's still 20 minutes to go should i do this let's see what happens and yeah we have no video footage of this but yeah i I made (laughs) it it was it was pretty funny yeah but i have yeah it's fun it's just kind of like walking in massive moon boots (laughs) we'll get a video of that we'll put that in the (laughs) The, hey, try We could launch our own TikTok here. Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. Another project for another time. Uh, yeah, we got um, a great list of ideas from this show. But yeah, compression boots definitely. I think they are the maybe like the Rolls Royce of the foam roller. You know, like the yeah. compact, two ends of different spectrum. But um, they're definitely a, a keep if you're serious about staying injury free, serious about your training, serious about your performance. Then I think. There, at some point in time, they'll come a they'll come a they'll come a point where you want to invest in those. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah, and then kind of just while we're on the passive uh, recovery thing, I I don't want to forget to mention these have kind of fallen out of uh, popularity, but um, e stim devices. Yeah, you know they I, were really kind of popular and all the rage for a little while, and then I know. like Mark Pro had. I don't even yeah. know if they have them anymore, but you know, I mean, okay, so they fell out of rage with consumers. But physical therapists still use these they a do. lot. Yep. So it's one of those things where I can tell you why people aren't buying them is because nobody likes getting shocked. <laughs> like it's not it's not hard, but I, it's like not fun. Yeah. In my in my last PT appointment last night, I actually had the e-stim with the dry needling and it's kind of weird. Oh, that's it's kind of Yeah. Um, but I'm yeah, sure. so for listeners who don't know, e-stim, it's, you put these little pads on and it's definitely targeted. You put on certain muscles and 
um, it'll it'll send just a slight shock um, with the the idea that it stimulates the muscle and then it yeah. unstimulates it and yeah. it kind of does like a modulated thing so blood yeah. flows in and yeah um, you know the fact that physical therapists still use it mean it's probably legit yeah um, but it it does take some level of expertise it's For not sure. like something yeah. you're looking forward to yeah unlike the normatec you're like oh, I can't wait to normatec you're not like can't wait to east them yeah like, <laughs> <laughs> so no one ever. Um, but they've also come down in price. I mean, I've seen them online for 100 bucks, okay. 150 Yeah, they um, have come down in price a lot then, yeah. Yeah. So so that's just worth mentioning in case people are like, well, you forgot East End. Well, that's still out there. Yeah, yeah. And so then you've also got a whole category of gear that you're call- calling your check engine light gear, which yes. I like I like the sound of. This is very, this is very Chris. This is very gear guru. Um, but yeah, this is so this is more about preventative. More, this is less about preventative and more about kind of like checking in with where you're at and what's happening in your body and having some piece of tech or wearable or whatever that can help you determine at what point down the road are you in the, you know, overtrained or almost injured type. Um. How far are you off the cliff? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we did a whole um, a whole section on HRV, um, yeah. uh, heart rate vari- variability. Uh, devices a couple shows ago so yeah. we won't get too far into that but yeah but it's worth mentioning because i really do think that you know the best way to prevent injury is to you know to prevent extreme fatigue because when yeah. you're extremely fatigued your muscles are fatigued and like i said those little ones that may not actually hurt start failing and then yeah. the big ones that start to hurt yeah things start to compensate and your body yeah. gets out of alignment and all sorts exactly. of things happen. Yeah. so if you've got just a couple you know i'll just blow through a couple of things here that are that are my like check engine light um you know, pieces of gear. Um, like I said, the HRV, uh, a lot of smartwatch, almost all smartwatches have that above yeah. like two, 300 bucks. Um, that will just test, you know, heart rate variability. If, if you've got a, a greater heart rate variability, you're typically more rested. Yeah. Um, if it's lower, you're less rested, you're closer to fatigue, you're yep. closer to injury. Um, you know, Garmin has a great uh, HRV setup. We like the Polar line. Um, you know, they've got, Oh, the whoop strap. Yeah. Which I haven't used, but I know they're very popular. Um, those are big. Uh, but yeah, so there's, um, yeah, we like the HRV. That's a good place to start. Um, in fact, you know, Polar has, uh, sorry, I got off track for a second there. Um, the yeah, Vantage great. V2. Yeah. Um, that's like their top of the line. Yeah. Um, and, and I like that because it has really accurate heart rate. Um but it also leads to this kind of cool function that that watch has that, that we oh, were just kind of talking about yeah. before we got on. And I, I haven't thought, used it much. Yeah. But it's this like muscular fatigue test function that has you like jump up and down like as a baseline. And then and then later like you do it before your workout and it'll tell you like, are you ready for a super hard workout? And I feel like as far as like check engine light goes, like I'm like, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Like, because then you're like, okay, well, maybe I shouldn't crush this workout today. Maybe I'm going to. You know, there's potential for inj- greater potential for injury. Yep. Um, so the V2, the Vantage V2 is 500 bucks. It's not cheap, but um, it does have this kind of like like readiness test function. Yep. That's kind of neat. Yeah, that's kind of crazy. Yeah. When you were just asking me about that, I was like, what? I know. No one in the office had heard of it. I'm yeah. Like, yeah. It's they don't I, like advertise it very much. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's it's probably like not perfect. You know, because yeah, you're jumping I, up I and down. I would wonder whether it's reliable. You know? Right. Like, but it's but... it's probably one of those things, if you're failing epically on that, you're like, I probably shouldn't do 12 by 400 at the right. track. Like, yeah. that's probably a bad thing to do yep. today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, that's that's kind of a cool thing. Um, and then, like, sleep trackers. Yeah. Like, those, you know, those are on almost every smartwatch right. out there. Yep. Um, they are, 
you know, they're cheaper now. Um, they're going to tell you like your quality of sleep, how much sleep you're getting, your, your, the way your sleep is trending, yep. which I think is really important, yep. more important than just like your absolute level of sleep. Yep. Um, a lot of them break down like the different phases of sleep, like REM and yeah, that and, kind of thing. And so, so you can kind of see, you know, see that fatigue coming. Yeah. Um, and then once it's there, you can ideally get out of it quicker yeah. before you get into injury. Right. Um, like I said, uh, smartwatches, Garmin line does a great job. I've used those before. Um, they break it down really simply. Uh, but you have to wear it to bed, which some people don't like. Yeah. Um, on the flip side, there's like Beautyrest has a sleep tracker monitor that I've used for years. And it's just like you set it under your mattress. You don't have to have a special Beautyrest one. It's 100 bucks. And it emails you every day. You oh, know, wow. Like a sleep report. Cool. Um, it gives you little tips on what to do. But so that's kind of cool too. So if you're not like looking for a, you know, $300 smartwatch that you yeah. have to wear at night because some people don't like that. Um, there are other options out there. So yeah. those, those are my big ones. For the yeah, like. for sure. And it's interesting there that we kind of circles back to what I was talking to uh, Shafali earlier in the show about was that she was mentioning one of the biggest ways to prevent injury in the first place is not just to like get in the weeds with, you know, like, oh, is my calf tight or, you know, are my quads sore or, you know, how much training am I doing? Or I, but actually to look after some of the really key basics, like like sleep, yeah. like diet, you know, like and, and stress and how is your, holistically, how is your body and how is your whole system right. like coping and functioning? And so obviously smartwatch there is a great way to monitor sleep, to monitor health um, and be, it be part of a, you know, a wider, like a wider conversation or a wider um, thought. So um, yeah, that's all super helpful. Yeah. And uh, I think, yeah, sleep tracker under your bed that's very pro and well you know what the funny thing is i set it under there like, like probably two years ago when i was doing a gift guide and i forgot it was there <laughs> and i i sent the emails to like kind of like a you know spam email address uh -huh. that i have yeah and then i'll go into it to like check for a receipt or something i'm like oh my gosh this thing is still tracking my sleep mm. it has like every day of my sleep for like two years and i'm like i totally forgot that thing's buzzing around down there <laughs> So who knows, like, you know. Where that? Where is that information going? Where else is that information going? I know. What does it mean? The sleep police. The sleep police. Okay, Chris. I think we might have to wrap it up there <laughs> on that note. I think we're done. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for joining me. And uh, as always, super insightful and very helpful. Thank, Thank you. Thanks, EK. Okay. So hopefully now you're a little more in the know when it comes to injury prevention. Thank you for joining us on this month's Fitter and Faster. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Fitter and Faster by Triathlete wherever you listen to your pods. And if you've enjoyed the show, please feel free to rate and review us. It helps us out and it helps others like you to find us. We'll be back next month, but until then, happy training! <laughs>